Hey everyone, Chris here, and who's here with me? Allison. And Albie. And as we've been long promising, you are about to hear our final show with Matt. We did this, Allison, what was it? Months ago, probably. I think over the time summer. Time has no meaning to me, but yes, yeah. it's been months <laughs> at this point. Yeah, yeah it's, been a, it's been a long time. So this is our review of Blind Faith. And uh, before we get started, I just wanted to let you know how this is going to go down, just to refresh your memory. We are going to be playing this episode for you in its entirety, credits and all. And then after that, we will be coming back to read some of the, I would say most of the messages that people left in memory of Matt when we announced his passing. We had so many of them and everybody gave us such an outpouring of support. We wanted to recognize you individually as much as we could. So stay tuned for that after the episode. And I want this also to serve as a reminder that we have our Leap Day special coming up in honor of Matt's memory. It is a table read of the script, A Bold Leap Forward by Trey Calloway. And as special guests reading that script, we had Caitlin Bassett. We had Nan Rissa Lee. We had Georgina Riley. We had Deborah Pratt. And we had Trey Calloway, the writer himself. So it was a phenomenal experience. They came, they really knocked it out of the park, and they read that script for us with all the heart that you could want. So you definitely want to see that. Albie, that's going to be premiering on the YouTube channel. Can you tell us how that's going to work? On Leap Day, you'll be able to watch it on Leap Day, which is February 29th, happens once every four years. And remember, Leap Day is Matt Day. It's all to help promote the GoFundMe for Matt Dale and his family. And uh, it'll be great. I mean, Caitlin Bassett, Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, she put her all into it. Everyone did. And it was just it was a great experience. And uh, I hope you guys enjoy listening to it uh, as much as we enjoy doing it. And uh, I'm glad that we did it in Matt's memory. Yeah, so am I. It was it was a fantastic experience. And uh, thanks to them, one and all of their listening to this for really coming and bringing it. Albie, is it is it going to premiere like at midnight or do we have like a set time that we're going to release this? I'm waiting for uh, Christopher to let me know what time is best for him. <laughs> so I would say that maybe we do it first thing in the morning on Sounds great. day. Give more people time. Yeah, give more people time to watch it. You got it. So it might be before Leap Day for some, after Leap Day for others, but uh, it, it'll be at least the start of Leap Day for, for two of us, Albie and me. <laughs> <laughs> when Deborah did her uh, Ziggy voice, I got goosebumps. I laughed. I cried. It was a great time. Yeah, it was somewhat surreal. So you guys definitely don't want to miss that. You can find it at youtube.com slash the quantum leap podcast on February 29th leap day. So I think that's all the preamble we need. So without further ado, here is our final show with Matt Dale on with the show. Greetings, Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the quantum leap podcast. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own, and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time, 
who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. You are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 159, Revisiting Blind Faith. Oh boy. Oh God. I'm supposed to be blind. Oh, Andrew, you never cease to amaze me. I can't wait to see what you're going to play tomorrow night. Why are we stopping? Because I told Mama I'd be home by midnight. Your mother? I know, I know. She still thinks I'm about 14. Well... But, but let's not get started about her again. You should at least wait until you meet her before you make up your mind. I mean, I'm sure the two of you will, will get along just great. Do you have any idea what time it is? Uh, no, I'm sorry. I, I guess I lost track. How thoughtful. I'm sitting here wondering if my only daughter is lying in a gutter somewhere and you're sorry. I kill myself putting you through nursing school and you go gallivanting through the city with God knows who. I wasn't with anyone. It was just a concert. And when you flunk your finals, it will be more than just a concert, won't it? Sam, Andrew Ross is the Ray Charles of classical music. We are in mm, New York City. Today is... February 6, 1964. Right. Oh, that's three days before the Beatles play the Ed Sullivan show. Al, why am I here? According to Ziggy, Andrew's concert was a huge success. It won't be now. And, oh, boy. After the concert, Michelle was strangled in Central Park. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast, everyone. I'm Christopher DeFilippis. I'm Alison Pregler. And I'm Matt Dale. But what, what what did did I hear another name in there? It's just usually me and Matt. <laughs> what? <laughs> Who's that? Welcome who's that? back. <laughs> I'm back and better than ever. Guess who's back? What have you Guess been up who's to? back? Guess who's back? <laughs> it's uh writing a lot of stuff about charms. Nothing fun. Cool. cool. <laughs> That's what I've been doing. <laughs> Living that charmed life. We've missed you. Yes, we have. Oh, thank you. I missed you guys too. We wish we could uh, invite you back under better circumstances, but today we're discussing the episode Blind Faith. Hey. <laughs> we could have skipped ahead to Thou Shalt Not, to be fair. That's true. <laughs> or as I like to call this, um, QLS2PM2. Pardon? Can anyone crack that code? It's uh, Quantum Leap Season 2 Problematic Mother 2. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chris. <laughs> Are there that many problematic mothers in Season 2? List them, please. Uh, let's see. Kay Callan. Yeah. And Jennifer Rhodes. That's okay. two. I said number two. <laughs> there has to be an expectation of a, of, of, of a list. I mean, it's, it's just sort of a thing that just happened to be in more than one episode, right? It's not like it's constantly problematic moms. No, it's just funny to me that um, we're in season two and we've already had an episode that focused on a problematic mother. Mm -hmm. And we're relatively soon after that one. And we have kind of the same trope going on here. So that's what stuck out to me. Yeah, yeah a little bit. 
So yeah, everyone, we're uh, discussing Blind Faith, season two of the Legacy series, and we have Allison Pregler back in the house. So, hey. Welcome back, Allison. It's so nice to Thank be you. back on mic with you. Aww. Also, we have a Legacy interview to go with this one. About a million years ago, Albie spoke with Jennifer Rhodes about her role as Agnes in this, and we will be playing that for you after the break. I haven't listened to that one in years and years and years, probably since it came out, so I'm looking forward to hearing it again. I remember it being a good one. I remember enjoying that interview. Yeah, yeah, that was a great interview. And she was also... um a long-running character on the original Charmed. So I brought up Charmed earlier. and <laughs> So I know her from that. I'm, the stuff I've been working on is the reboot. But anyway, I remember her from the original Charmed. Cool. Fun fact. Well, we should get her back on for a new interview. Talk to her about Charmed. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. <laughs> she, Yeah, she was uh, the grandmother on that show. Okay. Anyway, I think she's a really talented actress. Uh, yeah, and she has the kind of face, like, I feel like I've seen her in so much stuff. So it's oh, yeah, sort she's of been like, in like, tons of things. She's a, that gal. So, yeah, so it's nice to see her here. I thought she was good in the episode, and I'm looking forward to hearing the interview again. It's funny, I was reading Matt's book, and I'm looking forward to hearing it again, because apparently she talks about how they had fun with the word pianist on set. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Doesn't everyone? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let's see if we can get through the rest of this podcast without sniggering about how Sam becomes a great pianist. <laughs> yeah, I have to ask before we get into initial impressions, I do believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, is this the first time that we see Sam leap into someone who has some kind of physical handicap? Uh, this yeah. is pre-Jimmy, isn't it? Yeah. 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 So that's groundbreaking in and of itself. Yeah. 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 I mean, well, he he leaps into someone who has uh, a handicap, but he doesn't have it until later, and they have to come up with like a, a convoluted yeah, right. reason why he has it at the end of the episode. <laughs> perfectly plausible. Perfectly plausible. Yeah, I guess we'll never know if it was Sam's body or not, huh? I guess yeah, this I guess is a yeah, big yeah, mystery. You know, it's just the mystery. I really, I'm still so confused. They, they were just they never clarified. <laughs> never. Never once. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, I just wanted to establish that. I think it's pretty neat that uh, the series went there, and uh, I like yeah. the way they did it in this one. And um, why don't we do some initial impressions? It's been so long. I feel like i got to get back into the flow here. So Alison Pregler, uh, initial impressions of Blind Faith, if you will. Uh, I enjoy this episode. I, it sounds like you, uh, you're you not so hot on it, but uh, I mean, I liked it. I thought like the all of the guest actors were really good. Uh, I liked that... Sam had to live a life that was pretty different from his own, so it was it was interesting to see him navigate that, and uh, and I like the dog. <laughs> you always got me with the dog. How about you, Matt? Key dog. Yeah, I really like this one as well. Um, it feels like a, a, a lived-in universe, um, down to those brilliant guest performances and, and the quality of the writing. It's a lot of fun, and I, I do love a good problematic mom. <laughs> I, I got, got no issue with that. And uh, lots to talk about, but uh, overall, one of the highlights for me of the the earlier episodes. Yeah, and I know that I came in throwing a little bit of shade, but I was only teasing. I think this is actually a really good episode, and uh, I hadn't seen it in many years, and I kind of remembered it differently 
that it actually played out. So I was kind of pleasantly surprised by how much I enjoyed it, how much I forgot about it, to be quite frank with you. And um, like you just said, Matt, the guest cast, I think, was terrific. So, And that's the reason why. It's the same thing with Kay Callen. I think that Jennifer Rhodes did such an effective job of playing just this monstrous person that I hated her throughout the episode, and <laughs> I'm supposed to. So yeah, it's like, oh, you know, yeah. clap, 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 Jennifer Rhodes. I mean, She's great at making you hate her. Yeah, she's yeah. deliciously <laughs> evil, right? Is she a bad girl on Charm too, or is she bad grandma? Oh yeah, <laughs> not intentionally, but that's a whole other can of worms. <laughs> so why don't we begin with the fact that Sam is blind in this one? We had the leap in with him playing the piano, and he seems to know he's blind right away. I guess if he, if you're playing piano in sunglasses, and then you see <laughs> the the dog next to you, you might clue into it, you know? Yeah, he's he's pretty smart. I guess you're not generally playing piano in shades, right? <laughs> I mean, he didn't even seem to look around to get his bearings, though. I mean, he, he, let's put it, I guess I guess he's become pretty adept at leaping because there wasn't even a stumble. Yeah. Yeah, the leap-in was, this was something else. So, Matt, can you tell me, is this maybe the longest leap-in that we've seen before we go to the credits? Because, wow, it seemed like an entire first act passed before we got to the open. You know... Would you believe it? I've not, although I am planning on doing, I've not sat down and uh, listed out the lengths of all the, the pre-credits. Genuinely, it is something I'm planning on doing uh, quite soon. But I, I've got a feeling you're probably right. It definitely feels that way. It's certainly one of the longer ones so far. Yeah, there's, there's a bunch that happens. It's, it's quite a short leap out at the end of the previous episode. There's a lot of extension in this one. But yeah, there's a load of stuff. But like you say, he, he gets his head around it very quickly. Albeit he has to get his head around it to the point of realizing that he can't do what he's meant to be doing and ends up playing chopsticks. Lols. Right, the chopsticks thing. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty funny. But at least, yeah. like, you know, I guess he's on stage and then he's stuck trying to, like, play chopsticks, which, you know, he struggles with that. But, like, at least if he's trying to get his bearings, no one's up there talking to him. It, like, he at least can kind of figure out what's going on and, like, he has a little bit of, I guess, uh, space there to try and figure something out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just it just seemed to me that the necessity of the story made it so that he caught into what was going on almost immediately. And uh, right. yeah, it kind of took me out of it a little bit. But then, you know, we, we get into the meat of it. And I think the chopsticks thing was really funny. Yes. So, yeah. And the fact that we did have the dog. So everybody knows that I'm a giant fan of dogs. So <laughs> that is always going to melt my black, black heart. Chopin, <laughs> that dog was so funny. The scene where <laughs> Sam feeds him like peanuts or peanut shells or something, which is a weird thing to give to dogs, in my opinion, but he does. And then the dog burps. <laughs> they dub in a burp. Couldn't you at least spit out the shells? <clears throat> Disgusting. And it's the funniest <laughs> thing to me that the dog burps at him. Like. <laughs> I've never and he calls him disgusting. This. Yeah, if you look at the subtitles, it puts like burp in there. They had a little burp. Like I've never oh. heard a dog burp in my life. <laughs> Suddenly, I like this dog more. Oh, Allison, please come visit me. Oh, your dog burps. Okay, well, they dubbed a burp in for Chopin. Every time Penelope eats, she'll she'll finish eating her food. She'll get a big drink of water, and then I'll be sitting on the couch watching Star Trek or something. She comes, she jumps up on my lap, she licks my face, burps. <laughs> And then lies down. It's almost like clockwork. <laughs> Dogs are disgusting, aren't they? Hilarious. As a dog burp expert, 
And I, I'm asking this question not having noticed the burp in this episode. Does, does it sound like an actual dog burp that they've taken from some wild track somewhere and dropped in? Or is it a, a guy by a microphone just belching and they've added that on? I'm, I'm intrigued. What do you think? See, I don't know. I'm Now, if it was if it was a Bichon burp, if like one of the two little uh, Bichons that the French lady were walking burped, I could tell you because I have an accurate comparison. I've never heard a German Shepherd burp. Mm. It just sounds like they put a person burp in there, but I can't good, good. compare because I, I don't know. I hope that's what you were going to say. I just love they dub the burp in and then they have Sam go like, oh, disgusting. She's <laughs> disgusted by this dog. That just endeared the dog to me even more. I was like, oh, that's like my dog. Yeah. Oh, uh, it's so funny. That dog saved his ass so many times in this episode. <laughs> he saves him from a car multiple times. Yeah, that that dog is uh, remarkably cool with the fact that all of a sudden the the guy that he's been trained to look after has been replaced by somebody else yeah i guess maybe he's not that loyal like he's like yeah right (laughs) i I thought dogs especially guide dogs but uh seeing eye dogs sorry um but i i thought dogs were generally fairly loyal and seeing eye dogs were trained very specifically for that kind of thing but this dog seems to like sam and just yeah i'll roll with it Maybe he's trained to just go, you know, not like make a fuss or whatever, because he's like, he's a trained uh, seeing eye dog. So, you know, like they like make sure that they're not going to like freak out at people if they like pet him or whatever. Like they're usually working. Yeah. The fact that he's so casual about stuff, a little weird, but. Yeah. This brings up an interesting question. So we know that animals can see Al. So does that mean the animals see past the aura to Sam? Oh, yeah, definitely did. You could tell, like, Chopin was, was you know, giving Sam some guff sometimes because he was the new guy. But maybe maybe Chopin, does Chopin see Andrew but smell Sam? Well, the dog sees him, I think, because the, they saw in the pilot that a dog could see it was Sam. So I think all animals can see him. Yeah. All right. No, I was just curious if we ever established that the animal sees Sam as Sam. I know we- they, they... Diaper monkey. Very clearly diaper monkey. <laughs> <laughs> well, we knew that the the diaper monkey in that episode was in love with Sam and not Bobo. It was really sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but no, in the pilot, like the dog is like growling at Sam, and it's supposed to be his dog. But you know, the dog knew that it wasn't his owner. So I gotcha. Think, yeah, they've always been able to see him. Now I have a scene of Scott Bakula growling in my head. So that's that's where that's <laughs> from. Thank you. That's just errantly floating around up there. It's like, oh, it's that one. Thank you, else. <laughs> I really liked with the dog in this one, too. They had the leap out, and then they, like, cut to Sam's legs, and the dog's, like, batting at his legs a little bit as he's leaping out. The fact they took the extra time to do that effect shot, like, it had to have took some time to do that because the dog's legs moving around him, and they have to paint it around it, basically. Mm. So it was really cool. So, yeah, I mean, I'm surprised at how well they worked the dog into the plot because, you know, what is the old joke is the curse. May you work with children and dogs and that like that's your career because they're so famously tough to work with. But, yeah, this dog was terrific. And it's good because you had to have the dog. It's not like they just said, oh, well, okay, you have a seeing eye dog, but then they kind of ignore it. Like they could have just had Sam holding on to a holster like a like a. (laughs) <laughs> and just have it below camera, you know, and there didn't need to be a dog at all, really. <laughs> just have Scott doing that thing of pulling himself along. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Now, the dog was a character in this episode. It, like, he moves the plot forward. He has a personality. Al's mean to him for no reason. <laughs> Your mother is afraid of cats. 
Why is Al so mean to him? It's because he wants to be Sam's best friend. He's jealous of the dog. <laughs> I, I think that Dean was exemplary in this episode. I, for, for whatever reason, he was firing on all thrusters oh, yeah, yeah. as Al in this one. The, like the problem that I had in Machiko, I, I felt like he was completely off for the first half of the episode. And this, he just comes in on fire and he just gets better and better. Oh, yeah. All the scenes are great. The the fact that, like, he, you know, he shows up and then he's, like, getting into the performance and, like, taking a bow and all that. And he, like, dresses in a tuxedo for no one but Sam and himself. Yeah. No one else can see him, but he's like, I'm dressing in a tux for this. An all-white tux looked great. Dean and Al both clearly having a lot of fun in this episode, which is great. But why doesn't Al share with Sam that, like, he can play piano? He just says... Oh, yeah, yeah. It's all going to be fine. Just trust me. And let Sam stress about it for the next 24 hours. It's so cruel. There's a lot of things Al could have done and he didn't. Like, he lets the dog lead Sam around. And then later he's, like, calling Sam and using his voice and all that. And it feels like, you know, he could have helped him out before he was going to cross the street and get hit by a car and stuff like that. Like, Al could have maybe tried to help a little bit in that situation. Al could probably, I mean, at that point, Al could probably have led him back into Carnegie Hall and to a restroom that had some water in it rather than saying, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> let's, let's go and find a fountain. He's like, yeah, across the street, Sam, you've been blinded. Go across the street <laughs> to that fountain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the nearest source of water in Carnegie Hall. As, as a guy who's, uh, who's, who's lived in New York most of his life, I, I'm going to say that I'm going to recommend against splashing water from a public fountain in your eyes under any circumstances <laughs> much less these circumstances so it's funny because i was just at carnegie hall and i didn't see any fountain so quantum mm, leap no. is lying to us <laughs> what a convoluted way for sam to be blind in this episode <laughs> they're like you know they've uh, established that it's his body and he's not blind because they're like oh it's it's funny like you know if he has to pretend to be blind but then they're later they're like well, what if he was blind, though? How do we make him blind? I don't know. Maybe the Beatles are in town. There's like <laughs> a bad Beatles stand-in going through and then oh, he gets caught up in Beatles the crowd and then a flashbolt goes off in his face. <laughs> yeah. It's just very convoluted. Yeah. It's one of those old sodium bulbs, right? That uh, throws off heat and light. So it could burn his eyes. It could burn, you know, he could have been damaged like completely, which is funny. Um, but it is very <laughs> hilarious. Hilarious. Yeah. Could you imagine like though what, what, what happens? Like say, say Sam does get injured on a leap. Like if, if something happened to his eyes on this leap and he leapt out, would he be blind still? Or like would he reset somehow in the void? Like how, how does that work? Oh, yeah. I don't know. They don't ever really seem to establish how it works. You just got to kind of guess. But I would think if it was something permanent, like he was permanently blind, he wouldn't just reset when he leaps. Yeah. I'm just trying to think of any other times when he's been injured on a leap and then he leaps into the next situation and he seems to be okay. He's in a rough state at the end of Black on White on Fire and then perfectly finding Great Spontini. I think that's about the worst he ever is. Yeah, it would have been interesting to see him actually suffer a, a permanent injury. 
But then you'd have to continue it through the show, right? Like Scott Bakula would just be blind through the whole show. Like, <laughs> But yeah, I guess it would be interesting if they had like, you know, had an injury carryover that was more serious or something. But, you know, yeah. maybe if they had been doing more overarching stories at that yes. time in television, maybe they would have done something like that. I mean, I guess he, you know, some of his injuries from shock theater kind of carry over because he still has the burn marks. But, you know, it's not much. True. Yeah, that's true. And I'm also thinking like as Clayton Fuller, when that flaming beam falls on his back, he was in the middle of leaping during that or just starting to leap during that. You got to figure that, you know, he was feeling some of that as he was leaping out. So right. it's, oh, yeah. it's, it's almost like the transporter question on Star Trek. Like when are you dematerialized enough where the bullet's going to go through you as opposed to leap with you or whatever, you know, I should say beam up with you. As if the opening of Trilogy Part 2 wasn't icky enough, now we've got to imagine also he's suffering burns and possibly a broken back in the middle of the sex with his daughter. They they finally retrieve Sam and he comes back home, but it's like that scene in the first Star Trek movie when they're like... (laughs) To transport in the people and they're all melted and what we got back didn't last long <laughs> fortunately <laughs> just oh. mean for no reason <laughs> oh well <laughs> let's start over yes. ben get in here <laughs> kick sam's remains under a carpet <laughs> we'll pretend that didn't happen <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, no, it's just an interesting question because thankfully he's he's able to see by the end of the episode uh, that magic fountain water really did the number. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Right. but uh, yeah, it just I, it never even really occurred to me because we're seeing him pretend to be disabled in this episode. And I'm wondering, you know, how, do, how affected did you find those scenes? Because I didn't... <clears throat> it didn't occur to me that he was trying to act blind and but then we saw like that whole mustard scene which i don't know does does that age well is it awkward it's just like he's pretending not to be able to see the jar like do you think that uh, andrew would have that same problem i feel like someone that's been blind their entire life would be pretty adept at putting mustard on their sandwich or just any other basic thing that anybody else does well i think with that scene in particular sam is overcompensating a little bit because he's slipping because he says this stuff about the mustard, and then she's like, well, how'd you know they didn't have any mustard? He's like, I could sniff it. I could smell it. I couldn't smell the mustard. So I think he was overcompensating a bit, like, right, I'm supposed to be blind, and kind of reaching more broadly for the mustard and stuff like that. So I I think part of that was Scott Bakula trying to portray someone who's not that great at pretending to be blind. (laughs) Yeah. Sam Sam does struggle a lot in the first half of this episode with pretending to be blind. There's a few moments like, that. oh, yeah, I just, I heard the newspapers rustling, and, and that's how I knew what the time was. And, I could know, smell the keep... perfume. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of dependence on his his sense of smell, I guess. Yes. Uh, but yeah. I do think he, he plays it differently once he actually is supposed to be blind. Yeah. So I, I think like that was a, a conscious choice on his part to, to play it a little worse when he's supposed to be able to see. Okay. All right. Yeah, no, I guess that makes sense. Um, Since we're on that point where he does get blinded, I don't know. There's something about Scott's face in that scene when he says, Al, I'm blind. He looks so goofy. I think that's the goofiest I've ever seen him look. Maybe because his face is like, it's like, got it's all wet and his hair is all must and he's got like this hangdog expression and it's just like, I don't know. You look very awkward in that shot, Scott. It gave him permanent tears because his eyes are burnt, right? 
but it made it so much sweeter when he could like see Al and he's like, oh, it's great to see Al. And it's like, oh, is he tearing up because his eyes are burned or because he's just so happy to see him? You don't know. <laughs> I did like Al's joke too. Like, I'm a sight for sore eyes. But I'm just... <laughs> why, why couldn't Sam see Al throughout the whole thing anyway? Al's not really there. He's just a, like agitation of his neurons and stuff. That's got nothing to do with the, how his eyes are physically working. Eh. <laughs> Does any of it work? I mean, yeah, I'm sorry I even asked that. I, I'm fully aware there's no answer and we just don't care. But I just I feel like I had to say it. Someone would have been disappointed if I hadn't. Well, I mean, yeah, that's I to me that's that's a fascinating question. I never even considered that. It's like when Sam sees Al, what part of him is seeing Al? I mean, it appears that it's his eyes, but it's neurological. It's his brain. Right. It's something in his brain is generating that image. Yeah. So, yeah, wow. But then how would that work? Is he would, would then why would why if Al recenters on somebody, shouldn't Sam be able to see him through the hologram somehow? Like, how could Al ever be out of sight then if he's always a manifestation of Sam's thought process? Oh, that's a whole different question. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's all part and parcel, right? I suppose you could argue that since the, the brain is interpreting what the eyes are seeing and he's just been blinded, it's it's absolutely screwing up how his brain is is trying to figure out what's going on around him. And thus, even the interpretation of the agitation of... Uh, well, I can't remember the line from the pilot. You know the thing I mean. Agitation the, of car- carbon quarks or something Yeah, else? that's the one I'm thinking of. Maybe he, it, it's, his brain is so focused on trying to figure out what he can see that that's also not working as well. But that's headcanon. It's also headcanon of a really dull point. Let's move on. It's just one of those things where it's like, oh, why doesn't Al just kind of float along with him because he's a hologram? And it's like, well, there's some things I'm willing to concede because I think it would just look stupid or be like it's too complicated. Like it's just, I don't know. It works however it works. (laughs) That's fine. (laughs) Well, I like those kinds of questions. So thank you for indulging me, guys. I didn't mean to to bore everybody out there. It's interesting to somebody somewhere and that somebody is me. Yeah, I think people will find it interesting. I mean, it, it can't be any more outrageous than Pete's ridiculous accent, can it? So Pan is worse than the kids on the beat. Mm. I'll take care, maestro. You got me babysitting these teeny boppers. We're ready to drop their script for these Liverpool longhands. Did Pete have a ridiculous accent? What, what accent was he doing? I mean, it is a New York accent, but what specifically? It's supposed to be a New York accent, but it, he, he goes from New York into Boston into this weird amalgam of like Maine and just general East Coast. It just, it, it's all over the place in the same sentence. It's absolutely, it, it's magnificent. It's magnificently ridiculous. So, I mean, that took me out of it a little bit. I mean, it, it kind of suffered from the quantum leap curse right we have two guest stars three guest stars you know one of them is going to be the killer at the end <laughs> yes right but he's like oh no it can't be me i'm just your friendly neighborhood cop and i got the peanuts and i'm protecting the ladies in the park very badly i got peanuts for chopin <laughs> peanuts for chopin do people give their dogs peanuts <laughs> i don't give my dog peanuts but sure why not it just seems like a weird thing yeah, anyway, I don't know. Uh, yeah, Pete is fine. <laughs> he's, not, <laughs> he's not like, you know, the strongest side character or anything, but I guess it made for an exciting fight at the end. 
I love the fact that the New Yorkers in this were ridiculous and assholes as well. The waitress, too. God, wouldn't it be wonderful to have a sense of smell that sensitive? Not with my husband's feet, no. Yeah, well, was, was, the oh, yeah. so mean. <laughs> They're all mean in this show. Because she's a New Yorker and we're all assholes. Don't you get it? That's the way it works in New York. <laughs> <laughs> I have questions. I have questions about Michelle and Andrew's relationship. So obviously Michelle is there as Andrew's assistant and the mom points out that she's an unpaid assistant or somebody points out that she's unpaid. I mean, Andrew is this virtuoso performer who has like albums that people buy. (laughs) He's got like a career, like a legit career as a musician in the arts in New York City. He can't afford to pay his assistants. Like what's going on there? I think that – do we think that Agnes has a case against him because that seems suspicious to me right off the bat. I know that she's supposed to be painted as the heavy, but I'm trying to see it from her point of view beyond maybe what's just screamingly obvious there on screen, you know? I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's supposed to be that Michelle volunteered for it because they were dating or because, like maybe because they were dating, she didn't think it should be a paid thing or uh, maybe she didn't want her mom to find a paper trail and know about it. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it just seems shady to me. I don't know why. Well, I do know why. I mean, he's he's obviously got a career. He's got the money. Why not pay her if she's going to be, you know, skipping nursing school and making her mother miserable? But you gotta, you got to question the history there. Did she apply to be his assistant? Were they friends first and then she became his assistant and then it went further than that? I don't think it's ever really clarified what the order is. And that does make a hell of a difference. I, I think we're just supposed to, we're meant to think that they're in a relationship and she's just, I think, volunteering to help him. But yes. it just struck me as odd. So, and again, I'm trying to find sympathy because I, I come in guns blazing against Agnes, but I, I, they wrote her that way for a reason, I hope, to be more than just a two dimensional baddie. And every time I try to give her some kind of credit, she just does something even more awful. And it's just like, oh no, she's just about, she is there to hate. She is just there to hate. Is is there any way to make a case for her? I I mean, she's clearly concerned about her daughter's welfare. And she's obviously concerned before Sam even leaps in. And then she discovers that Andrew appears to be a, a scam artist. And then from that point on, her hate is entirely justified. But even before that, she wants what she thinks is best for her daughter, which is a nice, secure career. And this is... This is the absolute antithesis of this. So I think she's well-meaning, but we see this all from Michelle's perspective, and it's not good. And we can tell that she's being overbearing, she's not giving her daughter the independence she deserves, but that's just that's the way that the story's told. I can see the sympathy for Agnes as much as she's a bitch. Yeah, well, she also, she's projecting a lot of her own problems onto her because the story she's telling is about her. That's what happened to her. She was hurt, so she doesn't want the same thing to happen to her daughter, and she's she's projecting all of this onto her. So the way that she handles it isn't good. She's a horrible person about it, but also you get why she got there and why, it, you know, it, I guess it's harder to find sympathy for someone like that when, when they act like that, but... They had them reconcile at the end and, you know, Sam said, like, you owe her your love, but not your life. You know, like, you still can love her without being under her control all of this time, you know? 
So and that should be the point where maybe they have like a, a little bit of a 180 and the relationship gets some healing, the, the beginning towards some healing. And I'm all ready for it. And then Agnes goes and says, oh, yeah, my, my story isn't over yet. Maybe somebody else should take over the load. Maybe, maybe somebody else should should take up the load. Because, you know, Michelle, you've been a burden to me my whole life ever since my it's, husband it's left me. Steps. And it's about it's time that somebody steps. else <laughs> took the burden that is you. She's proud. You despicable child who owes me your life. She, she's proud, you know. <laughs> God. And it's just like you are just a piece of shit. You are. No matter what. You're reading that very differently to the way I did. I felt Agnes knew what she was saying and that that was yeah like Alison said she's proud I don't think she could sit there and say I was wrong you're right and I'm wrong it's a way of saying okay here's how I'm going to step back but still save some face and say that everything I was saying was right but (laughs) go ahead and do what you want to do because actually we all know I was wrong I got no issue with the way she says that it's face saving (laughs) it's a character It it, it would have killed her to say, I love you and I want you to be happy. It would seem too easy, though, if you'd immediately go to that. She was so bitchy through the rest of it. So you got to kind of, you know, you have little steps, but it's it's a step forward. Yeah, we would have been tearing that apart as unbelievable if she'd have just turned around at the end and said, oh, I love you. I'm so happy. that you." But no, we we would not have accepted that. We'd be having a very different podcast right now saying what a ridiculous ending. I, I don't know. I just I, I I feel like maybe there just could have been a little bit more redemption for Agnes here, and and I think it could have been written in a way that at least it makes her less reprehensible. But they were just intent on keeping her reprehensible right through to the end. What if she just spit on her and then ran away? <laughs> well, she she almost did, <laughs> but then she ran into the park in tears. So but she was in the in the um. At Carnegie Hall, and then she's smoking, and then the guy from How the Test Was Won is like, hey, <laughs> you stop smoking, and then she just ignores him. Oh, that really oh, pisses yeah. me off because, like, I knew a guy like that, or I met a guy like that once. I didn't know him, but one time I was I was working, and a guy like that was, like, a jerk about smoking, and that's what it makes me think of. Like, people that have no regard for other people. <laughs> <laughs> and then to comply, she stomps the cigarette out. She grinds it out on the stage. Why do you treat people like that? Because that's the way people treat me. But maybe if you... If I what? If I was soft and sweet like you. No, that's how people treat you because you're a fucking asshole. You don't have to be that way. Anyway. Uh, 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 yeah. uh. She's good at playing a character that you hate. She was, <laughs> she was a bad person. Very, very good job, Jennifer Rhodes. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of cool, though. They had the the reflection from how the test was won. He was the guy that was uh, that was the stage manager. Yeah, Sloan Fisher. Good to see him again. And the um, the reflection in this one, who played Andrew? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think he was also a blind pianist. Yes. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, Billy Burden is a is a big pianist. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> but but he is actually like a name. I'm fairly sure he's known. So it's like they just they kind of cast him to play a character that's kind of like him. <laughs> I think it's pretty cool that they were able to find somebody that has that actual career, though. Which is yeah, in terms of screen acting, this is it. This is the only thing he's done. So he's not an actor generally. 
Yeah, I think they just decided like to go out of their way to find an actual blind concert pianist to play him, which so I thought that was really cool. Yeah, Los Angeles Times, 1989, uh, did a review of his uh, him doing a jazz performance. So, yeah, that, that is indeed him. Nice. Presumably a good review. They're not like, he stinks. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a mean review. <laughs> his keyboard work involves occasional fugue-like... Oh, yeah, actually. <laughs> yes. What? Oh, no. It's, oh, oh. It's, uh, <laughs> it's not great. Harmonically, he has much to learn. He seems oh! to be less than completely at ease when improvising oh, a solo. Man. But, you know, if he's still going at it, he has to be, like, you know, to have improved, you know? He honed his craft. He's got to be a regular Andrew Ross at this point. Yeah. Burden does all this, singing on most numbers in a voice for which the best word is utilitarian. Oh, no! Oh, oh my God! God. <laughs> I'm sorry, Billy Burden. Sorry, Billy. Well, we liked you in this episode. Yeah, Billy, that's that's not what we think of you. <laughs> yeah. It's probably a good thing we haven't seen you live. Anyway, I think that also helps us get into the next topic that I wanted to discuss, because I know that Scott's musical, and we see a lot of Sam just sitting at the piano and playing here. Um, does anybody know how much, if any, of this Scott was actually doing that he knew? Or is it all just pantomime? Or because it looked like someone playing the piano. It didn't look like somebody pretending to play the piano. Did Scott know these pieces or at least know them enough to approximate what they might look like being played? Maybe Matt knows something further. I know Scott Bakula can play the piano, but I don't know is specifically that very complicated piece that he does at the end. I'm not sure if he did that or not. Yeah, I, I have no idea. Like you, I know he, he obviously can play, which if he was miming along to something else, then... His experience would help make it look believable, but was he was he miming along to a pre-record that he'd done? I don't see why he would, to be honest, because it's it's not going to be live. Surely it's going to be it's going to be a pre-recording, and I would have assumed by Velton Ray Bunch rather than by Scott. As good as Scott is, I would expect Velton to be better. So that would be my assumption. Yeah, because I know that he's a, a competent pianist, because I've seen him like play piano and other stuff and other episodes of the show, but I know that's actually a, a talent that he brought to the table there, so you didn't have to like, you know, learn how to play piano for this or anything, but I don't know like how uh, advanced he is. So I don't know about like that last piece, but I'm sure, you know, obviously he was doing chopsticks, which would be pretty <laughs> easy, but he, he probably did some of it if he didn't do all of it. For the record, I knew it was all pantomime. I know that, you know, that's the way TV works. But at the same time, it just, it looked a little too realistic for him to have zero knowledge and just, you know, sort of winging it, you oh, know. Yeah. So I just thought it, it was a way to make the episode more believable, but also to make the character of Sam more dynamic because we get from out of the blue that not only can he play piano, but he played in Carnegie Hall when he was 19 years old. Yeah, mm. It's such a disparate thing from quantum physics, but I know that all music is is math. So, I mean, in, in many ways, if you have a mathematical brain, you probably have a musical brain, uh, or you could be predisposed to anyway. Yeah, well, I mean, music was also really a big part of Sam's life, too. So I guess it sort of makes sense. He's a virtuoso piano player, a basketball player, a quantum physicist. He could do anything. He's jujitsu. Regular Gary Stew. <laughs> But yeah, so I thought that was a neat uh, wrinkle in Sam's lore. I think I even used it in my book, um, sort of tangentially in the background at some point, if I recall correctly. I could be misremembering, but uh, so I like that part of it. And yeah. um, 
you know, it was sort of a bright spot in this unrelenting misery that was <laughs> Agnes, Agnes Stevens. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Al was talking about how like, he got like a, a long wig or something when the Beatlemania was going on so that he could he could get with the ladies. Sam, the women fainted and screamed when they saw them on TV. That's how come the next day I went out and bought a long-haired wig. Yeah, I, I, I want to see some bad photoshopping of this. <laughs> You'd have to do the wig because, like, in the military, he can't grow his hair long, right? He'd have to keep it short. Where's he at now? Is he in, is he in flight school now? Like, is he... If uh, it was... Annapolis? Beatlemania or? was 60s, so it was pre-Vietnam and all that, yeah? Yeah, I mean, it would be maybe a couple of years before Vietnam. 64, and that's when they're on Ed Sullivan, so that's sort of like the height of the British invasion right there. So when does he ship off to Vietnam? 65, 66? So I think, I think the timeline adds up. Presumably he did this before he got with Beth. Um, otherwise, not good form, Al. Maybe that's how he caught Beth's eye. Maybe he had that long wig on. And she's like, oh, who's that? Who's that hip fella? She's a secret Beatles fan. <laughs> she- <laughs> that's something they got to incorporate into the new show, that she's a huge Beatles fan. Yeah, cover your ears for a moment, Alison. Now I'm just imagining magic putting on a Beatles wig. <laughs> oh, I already know about it. Well, they yeah, spoil right. it all in the like in the promo emails <laughs> when they're like, "We got a new episode." Like NBC sends the emails for the new episodes, and they're like, "Don't spoil these things." And I'm like, "Oh, I guess that's something that's happening in the new show." <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, we've taken to closing our eyes at the start of the episodes because they also put those up as captions before the NBC logo drops. <laughs> Say, don't spoil this. <laughs> now they won't know what people's legit reactions are. Yeah, well, that's why you have to keep your eyes closed. We're, we've become pretty adept at it. You know, like Sam, we know how to act blind when we have to. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, Ern- Ernie Hudson in a in a John Lennon wig. That's what I want to see. Didn't uh, Al listen to Beatles songs in Vietnam as well, according to the uh, the book Pulitzer? That was the song that's like Sam sung to him, right? It was a Beatles yeah. song. I think it was a, a little help from my friends. Yeah. And then, of course, Sam loves Imagine. Beatles just everywhere. I'm surprised they didn't leap into Yoko Ono at some point. Just be, <laughs> yeah, you season, know, if they'd season kept, six would have happened. Season six, they would have. <laughs> you know, they would have gone to the Lennon assassination, all that. You know, it would have happened. Had Yoko in the waiting room. Which is why I'm glad there wasn't a season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yoko's still alive. She could have been in the waiting room. It's plausible. Yeah. She, they would have just done the chubby checker, just have her like playing herself like, oh, yeah. you know, decades younger. <laughs> that would have been like 13 years younger. That, that would have been more plausible than chubby checker, I think. We're going down a rabbit hole here, though. Yeah, exactly. It's like, where are we? Should we, we talk where about we? blind faith? <laughs> blind faith. Yeah. So... GTFW really doesn't like uh, a bunch of women in New York, right? <laughs> Why couldn't he say the French lady? That Especially was a weird the French part. Lady. There was the neighbor, the, the the sexy French lady with the two uh, dogs, and then like Sam's checking her butt out, and that's leftover horny season one Sam for sure, because that seems very <laughs> out of character for him. But he's like, "Oh, I'm checking out her butt," and then she goes just to be killed, and it's like, why? Why wasn't he there to prevent her death? No, no. Or anyone else that died before that, man. Clearly some kind of butterfly effect. All of these women would have gone on to be the next Hitler had they survived. <laughs> um, so they they had to die, just not Michelle. 
Yeah, it's weird to me. I guess maybe because you need to have like the killer. The killer is loose among us. But it's it's just then why have Sam run into this person? I guess it's the only way to really effectively bring that person into the story. The only thing I can think is that maybe they did. What did they did? They determine that Michelle was going to be killed at this point by the strangler in the original history. Did we even know that that was the danger that she faced? Yeah, she was going to get killed that night. Okay, so but and Sam at this point, Sam knew it. Oh, I don't know if when he when he saw the French girl walk walk the French lady. No, I'm not sure that he knew at that point. Right. So that's the only thing that I can think of that you know they were so focused on Michelle because that was why Ziggy said he was there for the leap that they didn't know at that point that the murder was in the offing. Right. Did Sam find out about that French lady being killed? Did he ever find out about it? I feel like he didn't, because if he did, it just felt like, you know, in a later episode, he would kind of, you know, guilt himself about not saving her in time or something. But, you know, it was just like, haha, he checked out her butt anyway. That's an interesting question, but I'm trying to reconcile that in my head as well, Matt. I mean, I, I figure that you must have really been researching it because I believe I, I read about it in your book as well. Uh, now that I have your book, I'm actually reading about these things before we go on mic, and I feel so so well informed. Hey, <laughs> Instead of just relying on both of you to tell me what happened behind the scenes and stuff like that. So, yeah, it is somewhat of an anomaly to bring that in. And I think it's just because it's the only way they can effectively bring up the stakes in the plot, you know, ramp it up. That had like some interesting camera work with that, too. You have that like close up of her as the like uh, she gets strangled to death and she's looking at the camera. And I feel like Mm. that kind of camera shot you didn't see as much. And they had, like, some of the camera shots later, which are, like, the blind vision, basically, where Sam's yeah. got the, like, sparkly stuff in front of his eyes. It was a weird, like... It's almost, it's it's like part of the leap effect. Yeah, it was an unusual effect, but I liked it. Like, it looked interesting. Mm. And the reason for that close-up is obvious, because we can't see that it's Pete, and even Pete's, right. he's probably wearing a uniform, so you'd even be able to tell by the uniform, you know? Well, he was wearing the mask later. I feel like he did his murderings in masks. Oh, okay. But they were trying to hide it, because, I don't know, maybe you're supposed to suspect Michelle or someone, you know, you don't know who it is, you would know it was a guy. I still think it's Agnes. Even though they call Pete, it was Agnes. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm, I'm just going to go back to a, a point we were talking about before. So, no, when... When we meet the French lady with the two dogs, we do not know that Michelle is going to be killed. Right. Does Sam know that there's a killer at all yet, or that comes up later? I guess because he he goes in and then he talks to Pete and then he finds out that there's murders going on, but he hasn't found out about Michelle or anything. Uh, um, We do see the ominous newspaper on the sidewalk when they walk past the newsstand. Right. Because they sure do linger on that for a beat and a half. Yeah, we have an inkling, but I don't think Sam knows about it. Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of interesting, the, like, serial killer on the loose element of the episode. Mm. It, it wasn't, like, you know, the most fabulous uh, <laughs> serial killer portrayal or anything, but, you know, it's kind of interesting, the intrigue. Yeah, I mean, uh, unfortunately, we had to know it was Pete from the get-go, so, but... Oh, yeah. Well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did like that fight scene at the end, though. You got, like... Sam stumbling around, and then you got uh, Pete trying to fight with Michelle or her stunt double, and uh, then you have like the dog jumping in. Then you have Al trying to like direct Sam to what's going on because he can't see, and like I don't know, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. yeah, and I like that Chopin basically saves the day in the end. Oh yeah, yeah. 
Chopin was the real hero of this episode. <laughs> and Chopin leapt on to do many more things. <laughs> <laughs> Sam got stuck with Michelle. GTF Dubs was just like, yeah, let's bring the dog on this mission instead. <laughs> Chopin was the best animal on Quantum Leap. No offense to Bobo, but I think mm. Chopin was the best. What about Snowflake? No, not Snowflake. <laughs> <laughs> Snowflake was okay. You like Snowflake better, though, because it's a Bichon, isn't it? No, Snowflake is the lion from uh, the after-school special that is once drove over the line. Oh. Oh, yeah. Oh, what was the, do- the dog in uh, Gloria? I thought that was Snowflake. Snowball, maybe? Oh, I don't even remember. Um, wow, we just watched that episode. I think the lion was actually Snowball and not Snowflake. Oh, okay. And then I don't know what... I forget what the dog was named in Gloria. <laughs> It's okay, but uh, I know it's driving Matt crazy now. Exactly, he's, like, he's just yeah, like, oh, he's clicking frantically. He suddenly got so quiet. <laughs> yeah, let me look it up. Quantum leap, lion, snowball. I'm pretty sure snowball. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Yeah. It's the Gloria one. That... Quantum leap, Gloria. Thank you guys for indulging the Bijan lover in me. Bubbles, bubbles, bubbles. is what price bubbles. That's it. Maybe it some stupid name. <laughs> yeah. In Beyond the Mirror Image Volume Three. We'll have a complete list of all the animals in Quantum Leap, just for these these very moments. I did a uh, an old boy interview with one of our Patreon subscribers, and her topic was quantum animals because she works with animals. So I'm blanking oh. on who it was, but go back and listen to uh, one of the earlier old boys, and uh, you'll be able to hear that trivia. Right. I think I remember you asking about what the different animals were like on facebook you're like hey you guys got any info yeah exactly remember. <laughs> these things get tough to write you know shout out to the raccoon and tess <laughs> <laughs> i believe it was ann dumas so thank you ann dumas and she actually she named a couple of them but it's tough man mm. it's tough i even had to figure out there was like a cat or two cats and they were named simon and garfunkel can you name that episode simon well, garfunkel that's an interesting one. So that's a hurricane, mm-hmm. but it's allegedly in a draft script, but I've never seen a draft script that actually says that. I've seen that referred to in a fanzine that refers to the draft script. If you've got harder evidence than that, I'm intrigued. No, you know what my hard evidence was? I put the question forth on Messenger and either you or Allison gave me that answer. <laughs> so- <laughs> I, no, I wouldn't know. I, I only remember one cat in Hurricane. I don't remember two. Yeah, it was only one cat, and yeah, but it was a, apparently originally two cats called Simon and Garfunkel. Oh, see, they're cursing themselves. If they write a scene that has two cats in it, that you know that's getting changed. Yeah. You can't work with cats on set. But yeah, I've got no decent citation for that, but allegedly. Allegedly. Simon and Garfunkel there. I don't think Anne got that one either. So Anne, it's not your fault. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. It's, it's an obscure one. Apparently Matt lied to me, so I apologize <laughs> at this late date. <laughs> It's in my book, and it's cited properly there. It's just the citation itself is is a little woolly. Anyway, should we talk about blind faith, guys? Blind faith. <laughs> I don't know what else I have more to talk about with blind faith. I mean, it's a pretty cut and dry episode, isn't it? Yeah, I'm not really sure. Sam looked good in this episode. I liked he had the long hair with the slight curl at the bottom, and he looked good in the, the brown turtleneck. It's pretty good. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's an important point. I'm glad you made it. <laughs> Someone's got to. <laughs> Someone's got to drool over Sam at some point. Any uh, any new owl outfits? 
I believe the he he wears a turquoise shirt in this, which I believe is the first time that Dorliac started cutting holes in things. Oh, I thought he was wearing the turquoise shirt in Starcrossed. He wore a turquoise shirt. Mm, maybe. I'm going to look it up right now. I can find a screenshot. Here's one thing that I found weird. This is not the first time we've seen the imaging chamber door, but the door opens behind Al. He doesn't move at all. And then it closes in front of him. Yes. Uh. Yeah, they're obviously still figuring that out. Because, yeah, that's that's weird. It kind of swallows him up. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> the door itself got pushed forward somehow. Yeah. It was pretty freaky. I said, whoa, I, yeah, they're working that out for sure. Yeah. So, but I mean, if that's what we're talking about here, yeah, I don't know. I looked up the shirt thing. Yeah. The, he's wearing a turquoise shirt, but I think it's a different one. It does not have the holes in the collar. Was it really only season two he started doing the holes? I think so. Yeah, interesting. But that, that's just from my observations. So this is not from any interviews or anything like this. If, if someone has spotted a hole in a shirt before then, I'm prepared to be corrected, but I had not before this one. The bigger new thing in this episode, Alwise, new handlink. This is the introduction of the second, third, kind of, uh, <laughs> calculator-style handlink, the one that's actually got the, the rolling LED screen across the oh, top that oh. text appears clearly. Yeah. Is that the the final one before the uh, the gummy bear? Yes. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So this is the one that you get some really good views on in Pool Hall Blues. That one. Is that the one that uh, Replica Props is trying to to make? I know they're trying to make one of the earlier hand links. Yes. Yeah, that's the next one they're working on. Awesome. Got a pre order in for that. That looks so cool. Yeah, that's really neat. I think they were uh, replicating what actually would... Didn't they have like six phrases that could go by on that little LED screen? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because they, they found out from the prop person who made it too, because I don't think you ever saw them on screen. There was maybe one or two times you could see like enter or something, you know, but you didn't see the actual phrases. Yeah. So that's really cool. Yeah, it's going to be insanely accurate. I've been chatting to Morgan a lot about uh, that handling over the last week or so. And uh, yeah, it's, I'm even more excited about it now. But yeah, this this is the first time we see it. It's introduced nice. without comment. It's, it's just there. Speaking of Morgan, he also did an Oh Boy interview uh, on the Patreon. Mm-hmm. And uh, he talked about uh, making that second prop, that calculator handling. So if you want to know more about that, listen back to my interview with him. Hot dang. Yeah, pretty fascinating stuff. I mean, just the attention to detail is insane. So yeah. Oh, yeah. He knows more about those hand links than anyone. <laughs> he yes. knows all the little details. And his trivia was, you know, hand links. So. <laughs> oh, he had you beat on that. Yeah, I, I don't remember. It's been it's been so long. I still think they need, they need to have him on the new show as just a, a rando that works at the project and wears, like, you know, a lab coat. And then he's, he'll just say something like, you know, yes, sir, right on it. And then go. <laughs> and I'll be like, he, I know that guy. He would look perfect. <laughs> yeah. He has the right look for it. Yeah. He has the gushy cosplay as well, so. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That helps. Yeah. <laughs> Get Morgan in there. <laughs> okay, Dean, if you're listening, we know a guy. <laughs> we know a guy who knows a hand link. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine Morgan getting his hands on, on a hockey puck hand link? I don't know if he'd give it up. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> he'd be like 3D scanning it. You Let know? me take this apart. I, I promise I'll bring it back in perfect condition. Just <laughs> <laughs> you ain't never <laughs> seen that again. Yes. <laughs> Give it to me for an afternoon. <laughs> Narrator voice. It did not come back in perfect condition. <laughs> <laughs> 
He, he brings it back and he's like, oh, I improved it and I added all this stuff to it. And now it's actually a working hand link and you can like actually put a hologram on it in someone's <laughs> mind. <laughs> Just did it in an afternoon. I was bored. Unfortunately, Sam's image still has the Getty Images watermark on it. So that's <laughs> screen accurate. <laughs> all right, guys. Uh, do we have any more to say about Blind Faith? Why did you write fancy piano tinklings on the Because notes? I have no idea what music was played, but there was music oh, played. Oh, I see. So, yeah. So, yeah, I'm class- not really sure classical what, music. what pieces, yeah, what classical pieces were played. I mean, were, were they operas? I would have been able to tell you, but yeah, I don't know. Just a lot of good piano music in this. A lot of like concert pianist Chopsticks. stuff. That's the only one yes, I know. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Etude Op 10 number 12 in C minor by Chopin, and then Grieg's Piano Concerto in A minor. Ah, of course they had a Chopin one in there. Of course. Yeah. Chopin for Chopin. And I probably mangled the pronunciation of etude. I'm so sorry to anyone it's, listening. It's etude. It's, uh, I don't know. Etude. Sounds right to me. So. Anyway, guys, any other thoughts on Blind Faith? You want to give some final thoughts? Yeah, final thoughts. Good episode. I think it's a pretty solid season two one, and uh, a lot of people would enjoy it. I recommend how about you, Matt? Yeah, I I would also recommend it to anyone that's not seen it and uh, wants to see something. It, it is a little different because it's, yeah, the first time and one of the only times that uh, Sam has to pretend to be, have, have some kind of physical disability. So not something I'd recommend someone who'd never seen Quantum Leap to watch because it is a little bit out there, but it's it's a it's a good solid episode and uh, comes with the the classic murder mystery with only one suspect which is just the, the great ql trope just don't don't worry about it just enjoy the ride i'm going to be writing the book sequel to pete about his road to redemption and uh you know he'll come back and it, it'll be like a buddy cop comedy with him and chopin <laughs> i'm just doing my job i gotta take care of the girls why am i being arrested <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, I loved how much I hated Jennifer Rhodes in this. So thank you, Jennifer, for a wonderful performance. And um, yeah, it's a much more solid episode than I remembered. Quite frankly, I remembered Michelle as being really annoying the first time I watched it. And um, I really liked her character watching it again for the podcast. So so uh, yeah, I'd, I'd recommend this one. A good season two episode, good early episode of Quantum Leap. They're still working out some of the kinks, but there's much more of the DNA of Quantum Leap here, especially all the Sam and Al stuff that we've come to love. So yeah, it's a good one to also bring you back on, Allison. Thank you so much for being here with us to discuss Blind Faith. Uh, Thanks for having me again. Yeah, of course. You you know you always have a place here. Um, But we're not done yet, so nobody go anywhere. um, Because as promised, after the break, we'll bring you our interview with Jennifer Rhodes. Stay tuned. The QLP is brought to you by listeners like you. Please go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast and give as much as you can. For as little as a dollar a month, you can be a contributor to the Quantum Leap Podcast. It goes to covering our server cost and helps keep the podcast going. Thank you. I'm Jethro. And I'm Matt. And we're the co-hosts of the Drunkard's Walk Podcast. Do you know what the St. Pancras Railway Station, Hydrox Cookies, and the Ragamuffin Cat all have in common? They're all pages on Wikipedia. And on Drunkard's Walk, we go from one random Wikipedia page to another only through the internal links of Wikipedia. That's right. And we get those destination pages from guests that come on the show that we talk to and find out why they give us those pages. And there's a little drinking and a lot of arguing. So check out Drunkard's Walk wherever you find your podcasts.
This is Jennifer Rhodes, and you're listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. So guys, we had a wide-ranging discussion, but we forgot to ask the obvious question. Why in the hell did Sam leave his door wide open to the hallway <laughs> yeah, where, where Hutch Mom could come in? in? <laughs> Hey, everyone, Who's we're back, right? Yeah. Yeah, we know that you've had this burning question throughout the entire break saying, why did they not address this? And it's just, if there is anything in this episode that just screams because story, because we needed it for the plot. Wow, was that just clunky? Did he leave the door wide open or is she just really good at lock picking? I can't remember if we saw... I thought she just broke in, just waltzed in. No, no, she was mm. out in the hallway because that's where he saw Pete when Pete was giving Chopin the peanuts. Pete was across the hall and it was the same doorway that they were standing in when, when Sam came in. So it's oh, not like they okay. were in Sam's apartment. That is a door open to the hallway that Sam just leaves open for no reason because that's how you do in New York. You just leave your door wide open, you know? <laughs> what a dummy. <laughs> He's not lived in New York long enough to know you trust no one. I wouldn't leave my door wide open anywhere. That's just weird. Especially when he got a pet, they could run out. Yeah, exactly. Chopin. That's that's dangerous for him. I don't know. Maybe he was expecting Pete with some peanuts. That's the only thing I can think of. But then why would he be giving him treats? What were the name of the treats again? Barco Bites. Barco Bites. Barco Bites. Barco Bites. I think that I read in your book, Matt, that uh, one of the producers, they kept the box in their office for the next five years or something. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you where they leave doors open everywhere, where Sam grew up in the 50s. It's just a throwback to that, where everyone trusted each other. It was one of those small towns. He never grew up from being in a small town in the 50s. Like, he's, like, 16 going off to MIT and all that, but he's still leaving his door wide open. Yeah. I don't think he got a lot of sex at MIT. (laughs) (laughs) I think there's a difference between leaving a door open, like, unlocked, and leaving a door ajar. I mean, it's just stupid. Yeah. (laughs) You're letting all the bugs in. You know what's not stupid? Our hmm. interview with Jennifer hey. Rhodes. Hey, didn't I say we were going to have that? Hey. So everybody sit back, relax, and enjoy our chat with Jennifer Rhodes. Jennifer Rhodes' career spans four decades. One of her first Hollywood jobs was a small part as Robert Wagner's secretary in the Paul Newman William Holden blockbuster Towering Inferno. In features, Jennifer is best known for her role as Winona Ryder's mom in the cult film Heathers. In television, she is most recognized for playing Penny Graham's Hallowell for eight years on Charmed. She has had guest star television roles including ER, Third Rock from the Sun, Friends, Ally McBeal, The Larry Sanders Show, Murphy Brown, Designing Women, L.A. Law, The District, Equal Justice, and Fame. But leapers know her best as Agnes Stevens in the Quantum Leap episode, Blind Faith. Thank you for joining us today, Miss Rhodes. Uh, it's really a pleasure. Um, My pleasure. Can we start off, uh, can you tell me a little bit about your experience filming the episode of Quantum Leap, Blind Faith? Well, actually, uh, that role was one of my favorite roles, a guest starring on television, other than Charmed, of course, which I got to do the same part for many, many times, many weeks. But Quantum Leap was uh, a role I just always loved doing. And in fact, I used to call it my mommy dearest part. And um, I loved working with those two men. And the whole experience was terrific. 
It's funny you mentioned Mommy Dearest. When I was watching this episode, that's one of the first things I thought of was... Uh, really? Yeah, the Joan Crawford part played by Faye Dunaway and <laughs> Mommy Dearest. And I was, was wondering if that was like a conscious decision at the time to make a character similar to that or if that was discussed with you or the director or the writer. I don't think so. I, I, no, 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 that wasn't done. But uh, I just remember later when I saw it thinking, oh, God, it's Mommy Dearest. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it wasn't in, uh, planned, no sort of happened. What was the set like? What was the director like? Uh, this director, David Finney, was his name? He only did one episode yeah. of Quantum Leap, so I was wondering if he was uh, good yes. to work with. Yes, I do. I'm trying to think of what he looked like just in my mind this morning. And I thought, gosh, whoever it was, I just really enjoyed working with him, though, because he was, a, uh, as I recall, was a an actor's director. And by that, I mean discussions of the character and he felt comfortable with him. I trusted him. That's about all I remember. And I remember the also the, the smoking on that show. When I first saw the role, I thought, oh boy, I, my chance to be Betty Davis here, you know, with a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> and I had smoked for years. And I gave it up, um, oh gosh, I think when I was 32 or something. And um, so I hadn't smoked for years. And of course, I had to smoke on this show. And uh, I thought, well, I look like I know what I'm doing because I'm, you know, a smoker. And I was, you know, I look so dumb smoking because I, I didn't inhale it. You know, I kept going, oh, my God. <laughs> so much for my Betty Davis image. <laughs> so you enjoyed your time on Quantum Leap? Absolutely. Uh, what was Scott Bakula like to work with? Well, you know, both of them were very gentlemanly and very, uh, as I recall, it was a very creative process, very giving actors. Um, Dean Stockwell was, um, I had always been a big fan of his back from years, you know, enjoying his work and, uh, uh I think married to the mob. <laughs> of course, he was a child actor too, as you, as you all know, uh, the boy with the green hair, et cetera. And, um, but I, I was thrilled to, to work with him because I had been a longtime fan. The part of the episode where, uh, you put a match up to Scott Bakula. How many times did you have to yeah. do that, and were you a little bit nervous about maybe burning him? Well, I probably was. You know, you're, I'm going back many years now, so <laughs> fortunately, remember, he had glasses on, so that was somewhat of a help. But um, I don't recall being nervous about it. Maybe not as nervous as he was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure our listeners would love to hear about, uh, of course, you played Grams on Charmed, and everybody really loved that character. Could you tell us a little bit about the time you spent on Charmed? course, I had gone in to read for Charmed, and it was just a two-parter, and it was just a, for two shows. And um, fortunately, I wound up doing about 14 of them. So obviously, I must have been doing something right. And I wound up guest starring on that show for every year that it was running for eight years. It's interesting when you do a character, you know, recur or your series regular, I think the writers must start seeing um, your personality somewhat coming out as you do it, and then they start adding things. And I thought, I feel so close to this character, you know, my in terms of my humor. My sense of humor was very much like Graham's, I, I think. In fact, a lot of my personality was very similar. And um, uh, it was a fun role to do. Obviously, any time you get to come back as a big bad wolf, you know, or, <laughs> or uh, which I did in one episode. And... Um, Remember, I said, we're witches, darling. We can do anything. <laughs> you know, so it, it just sort of leaves the road wide open to just trying almost anything. There's nothing 
you can't do when you're playing someone who's already dead anyway, you know. But it was uh, it was one of my obviously one of my favorite experiences in terms of recurring on something. And um, there are a lot of charm fans out there, like running all over the world. I get I still get fan mail uh, from you know Germany or Russia, Austria, Australia. So that's always fun to hear from people all over the world about something you did on TV. You know, <laughs> it's great. Even though you're only on, like you said, 14 or 15 episodes, it seemed like you were there all the time because you were just Grams and you, you were part of the show even when you aren't on the episodes. A lot of people thought I was a regular on it, I think, from what they've said to me in mail. But they, um, and also they referred to my character a lot, even when I was on the show. So, yes, I, I think a lot of people thought that too. And I and it felt to me as if I was. You know, I felt a part of the of the show. Uh, there's internet rumors about a charmed reunion. Is there any truth to that that you know of? Well, I saw that, and uh, somebody, uh, one of my fans on my Facebook, said, uh, "What do you think of this?" And I said, "Well, I think they should remember that family is everything." <laughs> 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 uh, and then I read somewhere that this new revival of it. You said reunion. You're talking about the reshoot of it, right? Right, right. Um. I I read that they were that the girls weren't doing those parts that they were casting someone else. Hmm. In other words, it would be a more like a spinoff or something. So the truth is, I really don't know. I mean, they certainly haven't contacted me yet, but uh, I would know. <laughs> but um, I hope that uh, I hope they do. You know, but whoever they cast, you know, for the uh, girls, I'm, I hope that was misinformation. But it seems to me that. You know, they would bring their original cast back, but I don't know. Um, I know that Alyssa Milano had a reunion of the cast and crew at her home. Uh, I think it was around the holidays, just this past year. And I went to that, and it was terrific seeing. I saw, you know, a lot of the, some of the cast there, not a huge amount, but there was, um, you know, the producer, a couple of the producers, and a lot of the crew guys, and and people I worked with, you know, the hair people, makeup people. It was fun seeing everyone again. Did your real-life relationships with the actresses who played your granddaughters kind of uh, seem like granddaughters uh, here and there? Like, did they look to you for advice or uh, inspiration? I can't say that they looked to me for advice or inspiration, but I think that any time you do a role over a period of time, you sort of bond with the people that you're doing it with, and there's a sort of... It's like doing summer stock for actors, you know, you, <laughs> you're very involved with the people at the time you're doing it and working together, and then everybody goes their own way, and very rarely do you see them anymore. So but that was one reason I was happy to see her again. You know, Alyssa, at least, Holly wasn't there. You've done over 30 films and 50 different TV shows. Um, what really stands out in your career, like uh, favorite memories of like all those experiences? I, I mean, from uh, the Towering Inferno to even movies that haven't even come out yet, like Lovesick. Mm-hmm. Well, the Towering Inferno was one of, I had a very small part in that, uh, but it was one of my very first jobs that I, because I'd just come to uh, California. And uh, I remember I did a high chaparral. And then I got this part on Towering Inferno and all of those major, major stars. And uh, I remember I worked with Robert Wagner. I played his secretary. And um, so I had a couple of scenes in it, but I think I wound up just being in one. But it was a 
early experience. I always tell people, I left early and missed the fire. They said, what was your part? And I said, I left early and missed the fire. Um, Heather's, I think, was another highlight for me that has really turned into a cult film. Yeah. I went on a writer's mom. And um, I didn't work directly with Christian Slater, but all my scenes were with her. And um, that film today, even today, you know, students will, you know, Okay, well, I'm doing my thesis on Heather's film students, and um, and even a, you know a generation away, they all know that film. I've had people quote me my lines in that film. <laughs> so Heather's was, I must say, a, a highlight. And I had a couple of wonderful experiences filming movies. I wish the movie had been as good as the experience of doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I did one uh, with uh, Sherman Hemsley years ago called Ghost Fever. It was great fun. I shot that in Mexico. The film wasn't very good, but I didn't get much play. And then I did one in Thailand called, um, it was called Out of the Darkness. They kept changing the title, but I got to go to Thailand, which was a thrilling experience. Um, One time, of course, this was a movie of the week, but I, I got to meet and work with Sheldon Winters. Oh, wow. And I... It was one, I think, probably, I don't remember the role, but I remember her. I used to say to her, do you want me to cue you on your lines? And she'd say, oh, yes, it's what you are. But I thought that was the greatest. And in television, uh, you know, God, there's been so many, there's been good roles before. You know, I, I did about three episodes of Fame. That, that was a good thing. I, I enjoyed, I had some wonderful uh, experiences on Designing Women. That was uh a terrific part, and, um, and working on that show was quite an honor. Um, Larry Sanders' show played the Orange Juice Lady. That was a terrific part for me, and uh, of course, as I said, Charmed. And, and that, but the one that, that stands out for me is Quantum Leap, in terms of just a single guest star. On Quantum Leap, you were not the bad guy, because that would be the serial killer, but you were... I would say an antagonist in the episode, right? Uh, what is that like playing a bad guy versus playing like a good guy? Oh, I think it's always more fun for actors, don't you? Aren't they always more interesting than the sweet ones? <laughs> <laughs> more memorable, that's for sure. That yeah. whole monologue about how you had to take care of her since she was two because the guy walked out on you, that was really good. Thank you. When this show was coming up on our podcast, a lot of people like you and enjoy you from where you play Mrs. Sumner on Third Rock from the Sun. Oh, really? Yeah. Was that like a fun experience and the people still recognize you for that? Oh, I don't know if I get Third Rock so much um, because I I played the Dean's wife, which wasn't... Uh, I did three episodes of that show. I did the pilot. And I remember, actually, there was a really cute scene I had with John... Um, John Lescott, and uh, where he kissed someone, and then she, she slapped him. So as he left my house, I kissed him, and he thought he was supposed to slap everyone, so he slapped me in the face. <laughs> you know, which there were there were sort of physical bits I remember on that show, and um, I was always getting you know done in by somebody, as I recall. But uh, I enjoyed doing that. He's a lovely man, John Lescott. No, I mean, he just was just a, such a gentleman. And uh, I remember he sang Night and Day uh, on the episode I did. And I was thrilled to hear him sing. I didn't even know he was a singer. Obviously, he's been on Broadway recently. But I enjoyed very much working with him. 
for me, one of my favorite shows, uh, of course, besides Quantum Leap, uh, is Ally McBeal. And you guest starred in the season two episode, Only the Lonely, and it was the one all about the face bra. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, how was that like? Oh, it wonderful. I enjoyed that role. And those ladies on the show were just, again, so good to work with, you know. I, I enjoyed that part. I mean, there's been several I have not enjoyed. <laughs> that was one of them. Like, I did a Friends one time, and I it was not a very good experience. What happened? Well, it, it just was... I mean, Jennifer Aniston was nice, because I worked with her, but... You know, he did it. nobody really said much. You know, everybody just sort <laughs> of... Um, I didn't feel very welcomed on the show. <clears throat> and I think it's always important when, you know, the series lead to welcome the guests on the show. And I just, it just wasn't a nice... I mean, no one was rude or anything like that. But it just wasn't a very welcoming experience, like Designing Women was, you know. or And then other shows I've done, you know, just the role was sort of, yeah. <laughs> you know, I could take it or leave it. A couple of sitcoms and recently, I, I still I enjoy doing sitcoms because you get to mostly do them in front of a live audience, which I enjoy doing. Uh, you recently did uh, Sean Saves the World with Sean Hayes. Uh, was that in front of a live audience? And in front of a live audience, is that more like a, doing a play? Yes, it is. Except if you make a boo boo, you can stop. You were asking me about Sean. Yeah, Sean Saves the World and working with Sean Hayes. Oh, he's, I liked him. He was very sweet, very sweet. I see there's a perfect example. He came up to me and said, welcome to the show. I said, thank you. And he gave me a big smile. And when I left, I even gave me a hug. You know, that's what I mean. Warm. It was very warm. Um, yeah, that show, um, I had a small part on that, but it was a kind of a cute part. And um, it was, <laughs> I had to sing three lines of uh, Blame It on the Bossa Nova. And the funny part is, I don't sing. I mean, you know, I can sing Happy Birthday, but that's about it. And it was it was an a cappella group, a reunion of um, Linda Lavin's um, a cappella group. So we had to get up as if we were performing and, and sing three lines. And uh, and then I faint from hunger because I was trying to lose weight to get into my costume I wore in college. So it was a cute little bit. But then they... Anyway, this happens to them. I'm sure you've heard actors say this before. There were two scenes with dialogue and singing, and they cut one of them. So I wasn't too happy about that. But it was such fun because here I was singing, and behind me is Lorna Loft. Of course, we all know Judy Garland's daughter, mm-hmm. and there, and there, of course, Linda, whose family I guess came from. She came from opera, and then there was Maxine Weldon, who was this wonderful jazz <laughs> singer. I'd seen her years ago at the uh, Fine Street Bar and Grill in Hollywood, and she these magnificent singers behind me, and here I am up going, oh, gosh, <laughs> I just heard this, you know? So that was kind of a new experience for me. Sounds like fun. It was. You have projects uh, that we've yet to see, like the movie uh, Love Sick. Could you tell me a little bit about that? That looks interesting. I like that kind of film. It looked cute. I, I played uh, Allie Larder's mother, and uh, she brings him home to dinner, and we're sort of, sort of I don't, I did it a few months ago. I think it's supposed to be uh, released this year. And um, now there was uh, Matt uh, Matt LeBlanc, and uh, he was absolutely charming to me on the on the film. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I remember thinking, uh-oh, because uh, I didn't, as I said, I didn't really talk to anybody other than Jennifer Aniston. And he was a doll, a uh, very sweet man to work with. And 
the feature hasn't been released yet. I, I think it's probably supposed to be released this year. I'm not sure. If people want more information on you or to maybe contact you, uh, where can they go? Oh, um, if they want to contact me for any reason, they can go to my website, which is uh, jenniferrhodes.com. Or uh, I have on Facebook, which is a little bit more, I keep up a little bit better, which is my, uh, you, you just look up Jennifer Rhodes Actress fan page. That's how it's listed. And that I sort of keep up on what I'm doing and <clears throat> what's happening. And, but if you want to email me for some reason, then you should go to the website. Do you have any other upcoming projects you'd like to tell our listeners about? Nothing um, definite at this point. I'm I'm on a veil for a, a lifetime, um, you know, lifetime channel movie of the week for leading that actually in about three weeks. So we'll see what happens with that. And um, I'm working on a we just had a play reading. because this would only be you know, in the LA area, but uh, it's a play called The Street with a Hole. I'm hoping that gets on the boards because I would lo- I love to do theater. And uh, other than that, it's called Auditions Are Us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure any day now I'm going to be discovered, you know? a nice interview it was cool how much detail she remembered i know this is a bit of an old interview but still by the time that this interview was made this was what 20 years after the episode and uh, she remembered a lot about like the, the the smoking and her work with cynthia bain and scott obviously everyone remembers working with scott but um yeah i i appreciated the amount of detail that she recalled and seemed to have had a fun time working on the show yeah, and just another great interview for the Quantum Leap podcast. Thank you, Albie, for securing that way back when and for, uh, you know, having it for the archives. I think it's just amazing that we have such a legacy that we can just, oh, we can just reach back and hear from the mom again, you know, the blind faith mom. Who else has an interview with Jennifer Rhodes about Quantum Leap? Nobody. That's who. Us here, the Quantum Leap podcast. <laughs> So yeah, so it's terrific. So um, now we have to get Cynthia on. On we'll do a we'll do an addendum. We'll do a spotlight on Cynthia. Let's see if we can find her. See what she yeah. remembers. So I'm on it. Good. Sounds good. Sounds good. So can, can we get Chopin? Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> I mean dogs don't really. I don't. I don't want to be that guy. But maybe we get Chopin's grand puppy at this point. Get him on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> Did your granddad tell you stories? <laughs> I was working with Scott Bakula. Rough. <laughs> anyway. Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, hey, this is usually where I tell you guys that we have these great new patrons, but no, nobody's nobody's new this month. So thank you to our, our, our you know, existing patrons and everybody that supports the Yay. show. Uh, if you're out there, yeah, and you're, and you're thinking about maybe supporting the show, maybe hearing those old boy interviews that I was pitching earlier in the show, uh, you can find us at patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast. Uh, we have no new patrons, but we do have a little bit of feedback. And I've been actually saving this one a little bit because um, it's to do with our last book show, actually two book shows ago now, for Angels Unaware. It's another patron. Her name is Bunny. She's been supporting us for a while. 
And she writes, if you guys, it's short, I'll take this one. I remember reading this one in high school or college. It was Al-centric, so I liked it. That's why everybody likes this novel, Bunny. It's, <laughs> it's, it, it's the Al novel, this and, and Pulitzer. I didn't remember all the background chaos, but I liked seeing more of Al and Teresa. The part about people who meditate being able to see Al was interesting at the time. I think it was interesting no matter when you read it. Also... I like seeing Angela again. Not sure about Catholic theology. I'm a little pagan myself. My dad returned to the church at the end of his life, and after he passed, someone organized a mass in his honor to help his soul to heaven. So thank you so much, Bunny, for sharing that, because we had the question at the end of that discussion, if you recall, like, can you petition Mm. the Lord with prayer? And I was a little bit incensed about it. I feel like I might have come across as kind of a jerk, but um, it's got to be a thing a mass to get him into heaven. So, Yeah, well, I mean, if they did that, it has to be a thing. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I appreciate so. you sharing that, Bunny. Yeah, thanks. So if you would like to be like Bunny and tell us what you think about Angels Unaware or Blind Faith or What Price Gloria or anything Quantum Leap related, there are many ways that you can reach us here on the Quantum Leap podcast. You can drop us a line at P.O. Box 542, Bayport, New York, 11705. You can get us by phone at 707-847-6682. You can email us at quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast. You can Instagram us at quantumleappodcast or X us at quantumleappod. You can also see us on YouTube at youtube.com slash thequantumleappodcast. And as I said, you can always go that extra mile and support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Quantum Leap Podcast. Just remember, we may use your response on an upcoming episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast. And speaking of upcoming episodes, Matt, tell us what's next. One dream, one soul, one prize, one goal. Uh, If only that was the actual synopsis. Um, We're returning to... (laughs) the new series uh the next episode is series two episode seven a kind of magic and we have a synopsis we've gone the last couple of episodes without actually having a synopsis available but uh we have for this one so ben leaps back to 1692 the farthest he's ever been where he finds himself on trial for practicing witchcraft with limited records online the team must race to save him before he's put to death Dun, dun, dun. Which I'm really looking forward to. It sounds amazing, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing stopping you from watching it, Allison. And if you decide yeah. to... Um, uh, is half of it about the team in the present day being boring and having a love triangle? <laughs> it's all that. It's all that and then some. So. <laughs> all that and so much more. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to watching this one. I've been um, steeping myself in Salem lore inadvertently lately, so uh, it'd be interesting to see sort of the new stuff that I've learned in the last several weeks versus what's going to be on screen. So it's going to be groovy, I think. And uh, yeah, it's interesting, interesting. So, well, Matt, I can't wait to discuss that with you. And Allison, it has been a joy and a pleasure to be back on the show with you as well. So thank you. Until we get ourselves to Salem, I have been Christopher D. Philippus. I've been Allison Pregler. And I've been Matt Dale. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap podcast, hosted by Allison, Matt, and Chris, with voice talent and contributions from Hayden McQueenie and Zoe Dean. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap podcast is Albert Burge. Christopher D. Philippus and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. 
Special thanks to our producers, Harold Sullivan, Glenda Palma, Chris, a.k.a. Brackmang, Mike Covert, Jeff Kiska, Greg Riedler, Cosplay Dad, Charles Allen Gossard, and Morgan Felden. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners, or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. The Quantum Leap Podcast is a Baron Space production. Three Amigos back again. Hey. Hit the jukebox. Hey. <laughs> That's Fonzie, not the Three Amigos. <laughs> well, no, I was just I was just doing a different thing. Yeah. <laughs> You're not allowed sure. to do that. It's confusing. <laughs> Wait a minute. I don't know what the three amigos were. I would just say the three amigos. Yeah, they had some kind of weird thing. They did like was... a dance or something, right? Yeah, yeah. And then they would thrust uh, their pelvises out suggestively. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> maybe not. It doesn't work for a podcast. <laughs> the only thing I remember from three amigos was when they called the, the villain Senor Guapo. And I just thought that was very funny. That's, that's what <laughs> they call me. Senor Guapo. Chevy Chase, Steve Martin, Martin Short. Yeah, of course I'm going to go see that movie. Are you kidding? <laughs> I saw someone post about that on Twitter. Um, they posted a picture from it, but it was just uh, Steve Martin and Martin Short, and they had like cropped out Chevy Chase, but you could still see like half of them there. <laughs> They're like, oh, look, it's baby Steve Martin and Martin Short. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so oh. funny. <laughs> yeah, deserved, though. <laughs> He dug his own grave. <laughs> Chevy hate going on there. Uh, did did he? Has something happened with Chevy Chase? Oh, he oh, turned he's out to a be legendary oh, my, asshole. Oh my god! Just just look up Chevy Chase community and prepare to yeah, be reading he's... for about an hour. <laughs> wow. You can hear many stories from people about how bad he is to work with. He's he's a jerk. <laughs> oh, I missed all this. Okay, I'll do some uh, googling well, after after the recording. Thank you. Yeah, we'll ruin <laughs> another actor for you. Ah, <laughs> oh, poor Chevy Chase. The days when you can just get by and do anything you wanted with impunity. Oh, I mean, come on. He was young. He was only 60. Didn't Bill Murray get in a fist fight with him like <laughs> on SNL one time, like behind the scenes? Maybe. I don't know. I think, Maybe. I think they got in a fist fight. It's a deeper dive than even I know about. <laughs> uh, wow, this is uh, cool. I think, I think we should make a podcast just about this. Yeah, the Chevy Chase watch. <laughs> What's going on with Chevy Chase? Actually, cool and the, Chuck, he got killed, right? He, he was I, I a villain. The, the name, the name for the podcaster is the Chevy Chasers. They keep calling you an owl, Matt. Why? Why do they call me an owl? <laughs> See, you're not falling for it anyway. <laughs> uh, do, do you say an owl, and then that's the what is the prompt you're looking for? <laughs> yeah, they just keep calling you an owl, Matt. Oh, and then you say who? <laughs> yes. Oh, and then you go, Doctor Who! <laughs> no one's ever fallen for that yet, so. <laughs> this is like the worm do line in Red Dwarf. <laughs> they keep calling you You're an owl. You're not giving me the right reply! <laughs> I was like, why would people be calling me an owl? Okay. <laughs> Let's see if we can get through the rest of this podcast without sniggering about how Sam becomes a great pianist. <laughs>
All right. And we're back and we hope you enjoyed that show. It was a bittersweet thing for me to put it together. And it's just, I'm glad that we had something that we could say was the last thing we were able to do together as the trio. So I'm happy that it exists. I'm happy that we produce it the way we would have in any event. So thanks all for listening. Now, as promised, we do have so many responses and uh, well wishes from some people. I would like to begin. We have a voicemail from a longtime listener. His name is Mike Thomas. So here's Mike's thoughts on Matt's passing. Hi, this is Mike Thomas. I just wanted to give you guys a quick call. More recently, I've been just thinking a lot about Matt and everything that happened and has devastated me, which is weird because I'm not used to being so devastated and saddened over someone that I technically never met, just heard on a podcast. I've just been very, very sad. So I wanted to just give my condolences to everyone and just a new feeling to miss someone so much that you, even though you didn't really meet them. Thank you, Mike. So we're going to go through these pretty quickly. We have so many, but we have email responses that I'd like to start with. Guys, do you mind if I start uh, with listener Aaron Marsh? Aaron writes, I was shocked to hear of Matt's untimely passing and wanted to offer my condolences to the rest of the podcast team and to his family, friends, and all those who are feeling his loss. He will very much be missed even by those of us who barely knew him, but his dedication and enthusiasm for QL will certainly be remembered, especially through the tireless research that underlined his books and podcasts, which will endure. Uh, the next one comes from Morgan, uh, who uh, works with Replica Props. He's been on the podcast before. Uh, Morgan writes, I'm absolutely gutted. In the time I knew Matt, he evolved from a mere fan to a confident chronoblogger and historian of the media he enjoyed. Matt's enthusiasm was infectious, and he shared it by becoming a great writer, confident interviewer, podcaster, and publisher, a stunning loss for the QL community and for Matt's family. The next one is from David Rivera. My thoughts and prayers go out to Matt's family and friends. I know he was an integral part of the podcast. He will definitely be missed. Thank you, David. This next one is from Charles Allen Gossard, friend of the show. My heart goes out to his family. He will be missed. I am shocked and heartbroken. Matt was a great asset in anything he was involved in, be it hosting or as a prolific writer. He may be gone, but he will always be loved and remembered. Matt Hartman from Drunkard's Walk Podcast writes, I'm in shock and words can't express my sadness. My condolences to you and everyone who knew him. He was a fantastic guy from what I knew of him, and this is terrible. Thank you, Matt. Uh, We did have an appearance, all three of us, on the Drunkard's Walk podcast. That was a lot of fun. If you haven't listened to it, I'd say go back. Do you mind if I take this one, Albie? It's from Adrian Sal. It's a letter. It's a letter that he wrote to Matt. So Adrian writes, Dear Matt, I, like many, formed the bond with you through a mutual love of everything pop culture and in particular, Quantum Leap. We first became friends some eight years ago. Up until just days ago, we always had great conversations about everything fandom related. You were always so generous with your time with everyone you came into contact with. I will always regret not being able to follow up with our London meetup that we had always planned. To think we have all lost you leaves an unimaginable hole in all of our hearts, none more so than in the hearts of your loved ones. You are always a wealth of knowledge with everything Quantum Leap related. It was just absolutely phenomenal. 
Your books and the many number of memorabilia items you ship to me will be something my children and I will always cherish. Life can really be cruel, how it can just jump up and hurt you out of nowhere. Your memory will never be forgotten, and your shadow over our fandom will loom large and forevermore. Rest in peace, my friend in time. This one is from Ashes, Embracing My Inherent Cringe Arc. Oh my God. This is such sad news. Matt was a wonderful person. The next one's from Anna. I am genuinely shocked by this news and want to send our love and condolences to his family. Whilst I never knew Matt, it was nice to have the British rep on the QL podcast, and I thought he was an upstanding guy with sound opinions who I deeply respected. I'm so sorry for everyone's loss, and I'm glad you let us know so we can support his family in this time. It was a pleasure to know Matt in the limited way that we did through the podcast, and may this time recorded serve as a blessing for his continued memory. Thank you, Anna. Thank you very much. Matt's childhood friend Peter Braden reached out through the email. I'll read this one as well. Peter writes, words cannot convey how sad I am to hear of Matt's passing. I can't begin to imagine the void this leaves in the lives of his son, his partner, his mom, and his friends. Although Matt and I went our different ways when we left home some 25 years ago, I feel compelled to write about the good times we had and the admiration I have for him. I met Matt when we were perhaps four years old. He was my childhood best friend. I remember so clearly his great sense of humor and infectious laugh. That smile, that laugh, that's the Matt I remember even back then. What really brought us together was our obsession of film and television. I remember the day we were walking home from school and Matt was telling me about a recent series he'd started to watch called Star Trek The Next Generation. As the years went by, it became clear Matt was in a super league of his own when it came to science fiction. By the time we were 11, he'd got me into Star Trek, Doctor Who, Bill and Ted, Red Dwarf, and Quantum Leap. I thought I was a fan, but when you saw Matt's bedroom, you could tell this guy had gone deep. His shelves were rammed with technical manuals of the next generation enterprise, film guides, sci-fi novels, from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy to Asimov. Even at that age, Matt's knowledge of these worlds was immense. Something that always amazed me about Matt was how resilient he was. When we were young, perhaps seven years old, Matt's dad passed suddenly. He stayed with us for a few days. We spent those days together, and I remember thinking how brave he was. He just carried on. A few years later, when we were teenagers in the 90s, being a science fiction fan was not good for your street credit school. But Matt wore his love of sci-fi like armor. Where the rest of us were so worried about what other people thought, Matt didn't seem to care. He would proudly wear his Star Trek t-shirts and wouldn't hide who he was to anyone. He seemed to know what he liked and what he was about and didn't need to pretend to be someone he wasn't. I look back and admire Matt, that he was true to himself from such a young age while the rest of us were trying to follow the crowd. Despite the fact that it has been many years since I've last seen Matt, he is often in my thoughts. So many of my interests were directly shaped by Matt. Though we drifted apart, I feel the world has lost a lovely, fun, extraordinary, and thoughtful man. I feel so deeply sorry that his smile and his laugh will no longer be heard, but I am heartened that his memory will live on in his family and his friends. It's been 25 years, but if his memory still lives on in my heart, then it will surely live on in many other hearts for many years to come. Matt, I'm sorry I lost you many years ago, but you will always be with me, my friend. Death is that state in which one exists only in the memory of others, which is why it is not an end. No goodbyes, just good memories. Hailing frequencies close, sir. 
I know that was a long one, but I wanted to make sure that we got that one out there. Thank you, Peter. Yes, thank you for sharing those memories with us. Yeah, it's just so nice to be able to get to know Matt a little bit better that way. That was the email responses we had. We had quite a number of responses uh, to our YouTube tribute to Matt. The first one comes from James Washington. James Washington. I'm extremely lucky to say that Matt was my best friend, and the fact that some of you didn't get to meet him personally is heartbreaking to hear. Every kind word you have said about him on the podcast and his fans are true. I was lucky enough to go around to his house and watch Quantum Leap next to him. He knew everything to do with Quantum Leap, and I mean everything. We watched both the original show and the new show together. Matt and I also shared a love for a British show called Red Dwarf, and only a week or so before Christmas, we would talk about Red Dwarf episodes. We were also big Back to the Future fans and met Michael J. Fox together. We would go to lots of movie conventions together and we would meet loads of famous people together and waited in the queue for hours with each other having geeky chats. Matt knew how big a Flash Gordon fan I was, and I'll never forget the night he got me a private screening in London of the Flash Gordon documentary with the cast of the movie. I was so grateful. Thank you for making such a kind and beautiful video for Matt, Sharon, Zach, and his friends and fans. I was in my own little bubble with Matt, like I was his only friend because that's how he made me feel. But the truth is, it's in the thousands. He spoke highly of you all, and he always pinched himself how lucky he was to do the podcast and to speak to the actual cast of Quantum Leap and Deborah. Thanks again. Love to all that cared for him on here. Uh, thank you, James. Thank you. Uh, the next one comes from Adrian Finley. I'm truly heartbroken for all of you and for Matt's family. He was a wonderful, funny, and thoughtful presence on the podcast, and it has been so meaningful to experience my love for QL through him. Love and care to you all through this sudden and profoundly sad loss. Thanks, Adrian. Our next one comes from Karen Saxon. Karen writes, I was lucky enough to meet Matt in person last April when I visited London. He responded to my message right away when I reached out and we had a great lunch. So sad to lose such a genuine person. The next one is from Dewey Finn. I'm a relative newcomer to the Quantum Leap fandom and you guys were my main link to this show and everything. I even bought Matt's book on the first season of The Revival which is the only book I've fully read in over five years. I'm going to miss him talking about the episodes. Rest in peace, Matt Dale. Our next message comes from Miley Enos. Matt was always down to earth and funny. It was always a treat to listen to Matt talking to his friends about Quantum Leap or Leaps Elsewhere or Fangents. It always felt that the fans were invited to a fun conversation between friends. I loved his Drusilla impersonation on Blood Moon. When my comment was read on the podcast and he did the impression and speculated that the comment was from Juliet Landau, that cracked me up. Here's to Matt. May we keep him in our hearts. Marilisa Green, uh, I'm sorry if I said your name wrong. I've had the absolute privilege to have worked with Matt in the business world for the last eight months. He had such a profound impact in my life, and he will be truly missed at work. Rest in peace, Matt. The next one is from Bryce with a Y. Matt helped make the Quantum Leap universe and fandom feel accessible, especially when other sci-fi fandoms can feel so closed off. I really enjoy listening to his knowledge and the love of the Quantum Leap universe and its creators. His dry wit 
and jollity, and his politeness and friendliness. It really comes through on the podcast, and it feels like a bright light. Rest in peace, Matt, and happy trails. He was a bright light. Thank you, Bryce with a Y. Know-it-all Joe responded, I'm devastated to hear this news. I've contributed to all of his Kickstarter campaigns and bought all of his wonderful books. I've only ever communicated with Matt through email where I supplied him with some Quantum Leap reference material. He seemed like such a great guy. I wish his family, friends, and the fan community my sincerest condolences. It's just so unfair. Here's hoping the new series provides him with a tribute card. The world's biggest Quantum Leap fan certainly deserves it, and they did, and he did. So thank you, know-it-all Joe. Adam Cox writes, A wonderful reflection of a man I did not know but had met many years ago. Thank you for helping me to get to know Matt and be able to connect to my stepsister, Sharon. My heart goes out to all those who knew him and to the rest of our family at this time. This one's from Tara. Just saw the news this morning about Matt. I am so sorry for all your losses. Although I really only had a parasocial relationship with him, he seemed like someone made entirely from kindness. This was a beautiful tribute. He certainly was made of kindness. Yeah. Shadow Reaver writes, this is so touching. I've been listening only since before the new series, and I didn't always agree with everything Matt said, but he was very kind, and it's a big loss that he's gone. I know I never met him, but felt like he was a friend in my ear for friendly debates. I thank you, Matt, for all you did, and I pray for his family. Matt Dale did make it home. Jax12007 writes, Fantastic tribute. I'm still in shock over the news. The love he had for the show will go unmatched, and it was a joy to listen to someone who loved something like he did for Quantum Leap. This one's from Figgy. I always loved Matt's input on the show and how he'd be bewildered whenever you brought up something crazy about America. <laughs> <laughs> My heart goes out to his family and especially to his son. Can't imagine losing a parent that young and at a time so associated with childhood cheer. I can only wish them well as they recover emotionally. Daniel Ulrich writes, Thank you to everyone for a lovely tribute to Matt. Again, like most, I didn't ever have a chance to meet Matt, but through my earbuds and reading his book. I feel I lost a good friend. British Secret Service. I don't think the real British Secret Service. <laughs> you never <right>? know. <laughs> I had the pleasure to work closely with Matt in business over the last few months, but I had no idea he was such a massive influence in this community. Such a lovely bloke. Such a sad loss. Matt was an international man of mystery, so that's true. <laughs> you never know. Andrew Schumacher said, I had the pleasure of interacting with Matt a few times on the Facebook group and his positive, true love of the series and the extremely dedicated hard work he always put into research and the show were contagious and inspiring. I wish this cynical, sometimes overly negative soul of mine was as creative passionate, and always looking for the silver lining as he was. Our next response comes from Tay Jasper. No, this is horrible. Rest in peace to a legend in Matt. Passing my respects to his family, because this guy really made up the heart of this podcast. He was taken way too soon. We also heard from a number of people on Twitter. Here are a sampling of the Twitter responses. Uh, fans of Quantum Leap wrote, I loved Matt to bits. Sending you all love. Jerry Seward writes, Oh no, 
just in total shock. My sincerest condolences. He will be missed. Andrew Hodson tweeted, I'm gutted. He was so kind, so funny, so passionate about silly little things. We had so many enthusiastic conversations about things that about four other people on the planet would care about. Already caught myself seeing something silly and reflexively wanting to show Matt. Charles from Texas writes, I was floored seeing this. Matt was kind enough to correspond with me a few times, always polite and clearly passionate about his hobbies. My heart goes out to his family and friends. Mike Backhouse writes, This is horrendous. I have no words. I started to feel Matt was a friend, sending various messages back and forth on Messenger over the last year or so. I'm devastated. My copy of Beyond the Mirror Image will mean all the more to me. Dr. Sam Beckett writes, I am so sorry to hear this news. Such a kind soul and relentless passion came through every time I heard Matt. This has shocked me to the core. I know you are just voices, but listening for the past years, I felt I knew him. Dana Bias writes, I am so sad to hear this. My condolences to his family and friends. Lauren Milberger writes, What a terrible loss, sending love to his family and friends. We also heard from Sarah Ann Ackerman, who writes, I'm new to being a Quantum Leap fan and being a Dean Stockwell fan. I'm shocked and saddened to read about Matt's passing. Rest in peace, Matt. Gives Dean Stockwell a huge hug for all of us. Uh, Merlin Marshall writes, Shocked and saddened at this news. I enjoyed his posts and pod interviews. So sorry for his partner and son. A loss for the Quantum Leap community and everyone who knew him. Stuart writes, So sorry. Words cannot describe the hurt his family and friends must be going through. God bless. Michael Wade responded, Matt was by any measure the steward and scholar of our fandom, and his loss will change the way we understand this created world. I'm grateful for what he has done for us. His work, passion, and energy will always be an indelible part of the Quantum Leap universe. Rest in peace, Matt. Helen Earl writes, Deeply shocked and saddened to hear Matt has passed. My condolences to his partner, son, and all who knew him. I never met Matt, but we emailed a lot when I helped him proofread and contributed in a small way to his magnificent Beyond the Mirror image. Rest in peace, Matt. I'll miss you. Trey Lansford writes, So sorry to hear about this. Condolences to his family and close friends. The few emails we exchanged, he was always most polite and seemed a genuinely great guy. And we had many other responses on our Instagram accounts, still some others that um, I just, there were so many, but they're all in this vein. And uh, I wanted to make sure we got a good representation. I think we did. I'm going to present one final message from Trey Calloway, who is the writer of A Bold Leap Forward. It was the last interview Matt did for the podcast was with Trey. And Trey writes, I am so sad to hear this news. I just met Matt for the first time when he interviewed me for the Quantum Leap podcast. And it was clear he was not only a good man, but the best kind of fan. Someone who truly understood and celebrated the work it takes to tell stories. He sure made a fan of me. Rest in peace, Matt. So I just want to thank you, Trey, for those words. And um, it's also a way to remind everybody that Trey is the writer of the script, A Bold Leap Forward, that we are presenting as a Leap Day special to honor Matt's memory. And 
to help raise money for his family. So that special will appear on our YouTube channel uh, at midnight Eastern Standard Time on Leap Day and run in perpetuity. Uh, so go watch it on Leap Day. Contribute to Matt's family. That's youtube.com slash the Quantum Leap Podcast. Again, we had a star-studded cast doing a table read of that script, including Caitlin Bassett, Georgina Riley, Nan Rissa Lee, and Deborah Pratt. So it's 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 a milestone in fandom and uh, I think a very fitting tribute to Matt's memory and legacy. It's it's interesting reading these um, comments, responses about Matt um, this far removed from Christmas. I think this is the end of February now, and uh, I've, I've had time to deal with it all. And lately, I just remember the happy things, the funny things, and, and these messages brought it, some memories up. Uh, it, it's it's an amazing that how one person can make so many people feel like he was their best friend because I felt that way too, you know, and even just a friend in passing. But uh, he always went out of his way to treat everyone so kind. And he was one of the few people that I could talk to about Red Dwarf besides Serenity and my friend uh, Brent, who lives in Canada, who is real, but he really does live in Canada. Um, but like uh, Matt and I would just share uh, Red Dwarf memes or just say Red Dwarf lines randomly and he would get it and I would get it and it would be great. And he was always interested to find out Red Dwarf facts from Serenity and different things like that. And I think uh, one of the things uh, that I heard in these responses was how he would send things to people, Quantum Leap things. Like he he sent me Quantum Leap things. I went to send him Quantum Leap things. I think you guys know. He sent me the complete releases of quantum leap on vhs because he didn't want them anymore after he did his research he watched them all and he figured out what was different of those and other things and i was like sure i'll take them and he's like just send me postage so i was like okay whatever it is let me know and it was like 17 bucks or something silly right so then i go to mail him i got him a shirt from the from san diego the cafe that they remade in a quantum leap style and a coaster and a menu and a pin and I put it all in the box that the media got for the first season of Quantum Leap from NBC. And I was <laughs> going to ship it. And they wanted $256. Oh, my goodness. To ship it to Matt. $15 here, $256 there. I was like, I don't know if I could do that right now. That's a lot of money to send a shirt and a pin. But I will. Just let me figure out how to do it better. And I just never got a chance to figure out how to do it better. But the cool thing is now I have the VHS set of Quantum Leap that Matt Dale watched himself. So it's worth so much more to me. That's great. That's great. But that shows you how thoughtful Matt was like for anybody else that like, Oh, how do I get rid of this? Or he found, he always found the good and he always found a way to help and uplift the people who were around him. So if there's one thing I remember most, even, you know, after all this time, uh, now that the grief has, has, you know, abated somewhat, I'll always grieve. But like you said, Albie, I'm remembering um, most of the good things. And I always, I often find myself thinking about Matt and smiling and laughing and just remembering the times that we had together on mic and just how genuinely special he was. I, I still marvel at his capacity to really have a personal relationship with everyone he ever met and just to be so, so giving it, I I'd been trying to emulate that just so that I could maybe live by his example. He was just such a decent person. And, um, even though I miss him again, he's, he's with me, he's still with me. So. 
he was just a really generous and thoughtful and kind person. You know, even when um when he wasn't having a great day, like he would try and be positive. You know, like he would be like, okay, well, let's put this aside and we're going to like, this is going to be a good recording. This is going to be great. You know, and he, whenever we'd have conversations about personal stuff going on in our lives, you know, like he was always quick to like, how do I make this better? How do, how do we uplift someone? And, uh, and I think all of these responses really speak to the fact that he was like that with everyone. Like he didn't discriminate. He was kind to everyone. Yeah. <laughs> everyone thought that he was their friend and he was. Yeah. And I'm really going to miss him. Yeah. Well, we want to thank everybody who responded. Uh, if we didn't get your response on the pod, rest assured, we have received and read them all. And we're just so grateful to all of you in this community who have helped us through this difficult time. So <sighs> Matt, we miss you. And, um, you know, you'll, you'll always be here with us. I think that's pretty much says it all too. So thank you everyone for listening. Thank you everyone for responding. And, um, it means the world to us that you're still with us here remembering Matt. So, uh, we will be talking to you again soon. I've been Christopher DeFilippis. I've been Allison Pregler. And I've been Albie. And we'll keep leaping in honor of Matt's memory.